Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbard and i'm coming at you live from founder square at the neshoba county fair day two of mississippi's giant house party rhino safe and sound back in the super talk headquarters on this friday eve (laughs) it's a little warm out here today rhino i know you're shocked oh yeah and we're gonna get even warmer over the next Five to seven days. Do tell. Going to get hotter? Oh, yeah. The uh, middle of next week looks like the forecast has triple digits for the highs oh, for at least three gosh. or four days. Well, we kicked the uh, program off this morning, folks. We got a full slate of candidates on once again. It's the Secretary of State of the great state of Mississippi, Michael Watson. Mr. Secretary, good to see you, sir. Thanks for coming on. Always a pleasure, and thank you for having me. Uh, it's been a great morning. Enjoy the Neshoba County Fair every year. It's, uh, it's a great place. It's, it's America at its finest. Well, you are uh, about to complete your first term serving the great state of Mississippi as our Secretary of State seeking election for another term. What's your message this morning? You know, I think if you look back at the four years that we've had in the Secretary of State's office, and I mentioned that this morning, I can walk out right now and turn the lights out and say I left it better than I found it. And I think that's one of the measures that we should put in our candidates and the folks that are elected to office. Look at what they've done. Is the office better when they're leaving it than they found it? Uh, and I can I can profoundly say that and, and, you know, really believe in election integrity, the work that we've done across the street, uh, talking about cutting the regulatory burden, uh, talking about our task forces that have really uh, taken on tough topics uh, that Mississippians deserve solutions for. And so uh, the work that we've done, the team that we've built, uh, I couldn't be more proud of our, our group and what we've done over the last four years. So I recall your message, Mr. Secretary, in the 2019 campaign where, where you had as a goal as an aim to reduce the regulatory burden to the extent your office could to uh, incentivize business formation, business expansion. You created a program called Tackle the Tape, and you were recently recognized for that effort in the program there among your Secretary of State peers. Tell us about that. We were. We just won the Ideas Award, and it's uh, for the most innovative uh, program across the country. Uh, so all the Secretary of States from around the United States came together at, at the NAS conference in D.C. and uh, voted, and uh, we were awarded with the Ideas Award. And again, it just speaks to the work that we've done to focus on cutting the regulatory burden. And it's not something that you just talk about, Gerard. If you look at our business numbers and the growth that we've seen in our state or our small businesses, it's actually putting it on the ground. And we've talked about this before. You yeah. can talk politics. You can talk uh, you know, policy and, and in theory. That's great. 
but is it working on the ground? Right. And so as we see our small businesses grow, as we see us uh, tackle the tape and, and, and indoor navigate the regulatory burden, we're seeing success on the ground with our businesses. They're able to put food on the table and yeah. grow, their, grow their communities, grow our state. And so it's been very successful and honored uh, to, to have an award like that from across the country that people are recognizing what we're doing here in Mississippi. And on top of that, we've had states call now and say, hey, how do we do this what in do you our do? states? Yeah. And so that's, that's the important piece. It's not just here. We're actually making it better across the country. Yeah. Well, we, Mississippi will improve and achieve its full potential when we grow our economy. It's just simple as that. And the, and the key to growing our economy is to make it easy <laughs> to, to, to launch a business, to expand a business, and to, uh, to take care of right. the business obligations that uh, especially small and mid-sized businesses have that don't have access to a lot of expensive resources just to meet all the, those regulatory requirements. That's exactly right. And, and I would say this. Not only are we doing Tackle the Tape, which I encourage everyone to take a look at on our website. If we can help, please do that. But also, to our new businesses who are out there, uh, when they register with our office, they're now getting invited to a Welcome to Business webinar. And uh, Wade Hinton's here and his team uh, who have grown that out because businesses sometimes don't understand exactly what the regulatory burden is. Yeah. What are the things that I need to know as a small business owner? And at the beginning, it was just, hey, we file our paperwork and you're done. Yeah, we're, we're, we're tired of that. We want to build a relationship with these Mississippi businesses to help them foster growth, uh, to cut the regulatory burden, to make it easier on them to do business in our state. And so as I mentioned this morning, we're also working on a new program now uh, called a one-stop shop. And uh, basically, as you know, when you work with the state, too many times you got to have 14 different yeah. usernames and five different passwords and six different this. And so we want to build a platform where someone can come and they, they can connect with our office, with Department of Insurance, with DES, with you name it, across the board to make it easier again on our businesses uh, to, to grow and prosper here in Mississippi. Yeah. So let's turn our attention to elections. we got a primary coming up here in less than two weeks. Your office, of course, is responsible for elections in Mississippi, as is the case, I think, in all 50 states, if I'm not mistaken. That that responsibility falls underneath the Secretary of State. Uh, How are we looking, and and, uh, are, are we ready? Really good, and I just—I literally just got back from a conference where we were talking to legislators from around the country about what we did in Mississippi and what you can do in our states based on how we've worked here in, in Mississippi. Again, leading the country on uh, focusing on the integrity of the process. So I'm really proud of the work that we've done. Uh, but election integrity is there's no finish line. You don't get there and it stops. Yeah. There will always be people who are trying to uh, subvert the system, so we'll continue to work on that. But really proud of the work that we've done. Uh, I'm confident in Mississippi's elections coming up. As uh, as we've talked before, it's a bottom-up situation here in our state where our clerks and our commissioners do the really hard work. And I just appreciate what they do and the, the success that we've had across this state. Uh, as you mentioned before, though, most of the secretaries of state around the country do have that authority. There are some states who do not have secretaries right. where the lieutenant governor actually oversees that. And there are some who have independent election board so it's a little bit of a difference but but most of the states have secretaries overseeing elections so something else you and i've talked about we just did a minute ago offline don't mind sharing that with our audience is is just concerns of course that a a lot of uh, people have just the general population voting integrity uh, especially concerned about um, automated ballot machines voting machines and and just the, their vulnerability but i'll add a dimension to that that concerns me mr secretary and that's just um the protection of the systems stored in our circuit clerk's offices where all of our voter rolls are and they are vulnerable as are all electronic systems that connect to the internet they're vul- vulnerable to compromise and breach and bad guys could render those systems inaccessible such that we could not 
conduct elections. That's exactly right. And on that point, not only do you talk about cybersecurity, you also talk about physical security. Yeah. Where are they holding these machines? Where are they holding their computers and their databases and uh, their stacks and you name it? So uh, of late, we've met with a couple of security groups uh, in cybersecurity world, and we're going to start uh, basically a, a small academy where we're going to travel around the state meeting with these counties okay. saying, hey, very basic stuff. Do you have a .gov or, or you have something .net or you know whatever that's not as secure as .gov? Do you, do you have this? Do you have this? So teaching them the importance of uh, controlling and, and the access to that data, but it's a team sport. Uh, elections, we have to have our circuit clerks, we have to have our commissioners, and we have to have a strong Secretary of State to oversee that. And I've told you this before, when we go sit down with all 82 circuit clerks in all 410 elections commissioners, building that relationship, making sure they understand that we care. How do we do our job better to make your job easier? Right. Uh, has, has paid dividends time and time again. I know you've also pursued legislation unsuccessfully at this point, I might add, to get these dang voter rolls cleaned up. You and I both know we got uh, people out there on the county voter rolls that are, that are over 100 years old when you look at their birth date and do the math on it. And that's what uh, opens up the door for voter fraud, Absolutely. more than anything. It, it starts with clean voter rolls. And as we have talked uh, at length, 43 counties when we came in of the 82 had 90% or more of the voting age population on the register of voter rolls. We've cut that in half. So it's roughly 20 now. So we've got more work to do, but we're making progress. And, again, I think that's where it's important, where we do things like Elections 101. Yeah. Our initiative right now where we're teaching Mississippians across the board how do elections work. And as they understand whose responsibility is what. Uh, your circuit clerks and your commissioners, basically your commissioners, have the heavy weight of cleaning your voter rolls. So making sure they understand that. That's the, those are the individuals you need to hold accountable to make sure we've got clean voter rolls. So uh, we're working on that and educating Mississippians. And as we do that, as they get more comfortable with the process, I think you're going to see more engagement. The federal government has come down with a ruling about the, the ballot harvesting uh, law that we have in the state of Mississippi and, and uh, didn't seem to like what we passed, I think is a way to put it. You got any th- thoughts about that? Just, just very clearly so folks understand what the, the case is about. It's basically Section 208 of the Veteran Rights Act where their disability, blind, you name it, uh, have the ability to ask someone to help them to vote. Right. And the court was concerned with uh, the provision that basically said caretakers that wasn't defined. Uh, so I think uh, we need this law. I think you're going to see, uh, hopefully we prevail. We're looking right now at whether or not we're going to appeal that decision. Uh, but I, I appreciate Doug Miracle and the AG's office for being very helpful with that and walking us through the process. Uh, he and Justin and their team over there have been great. Uh, so I really appreciate our work. But you'll hear more about that. Okay. Because that, that's what opens the door, is it not, is when you have other than caretakers get involved in that. And what they really are are, are operators for a, a party or a candidate. That's exactly right. And one they the help things, them. Well, you need to vote this way, so to speak. One of the things I noticed was there was a mention of a lack of this happening in Mississippi. That's not true. Uh, we've got cases that we can talk about, but a long story short, again, it's in it's in the courts right now, so we're going to continue to work. That's not even that a justification. Time. A lie. You you implement these laws to prevent those. That's problems. exactly right. So, well, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, good luck on the campaign. I'm sure we'll be talking to you some more, Mr. Secretary. Thank you, sir. Appreciate, appreciate your good work. It. Yes, sir. Thank you, Secretary of State Michael Watson has been our guest here on Middays. We expect to have Larry Bradford, a candidate for state auditor, coming up next. Stay with us. We're in the Wells Studio at the Neshoba County Fair. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go. 
Well, since my baby left me, well, I found a new place to dwell. Well, it's down at the end of Lonely Street, that heartbreak hotel. Welcome back, everyone. The Element Well Studios set up on Founder Square at the Neshoba County Fair, day two of Midday's broadcast live from Founder Square, just a few paces away from the pavilion. So we haven't seen Mr. Bradford, who is a candidate for state auditor. Uh, so I assume he is not coming on today. We knew he was tentatively scheduled. Anyhow, I was informed of that by our content director up next uh, at 1037, Willie Simmons, Transportation Commissioner for the Central District. And then we've got Kurt Allen, the president and CEO of the Mississippi Aquarium. Sean Tindall, Commissioner of the Mississippi Department of Public Safety, joins middays at 1020. The governor of Mississippi, Tate Reeves, will be with us at 1137. And then we've got an open segment. David Hardigree, candidate for governor, he was on the program, I believe, last week, will be on middays at 1205, followed by Speaker of the House Philip Gunn at 1220. Another candidate for governor running as a Republican, Dr. John Witcher. He was on the program as well earlier. Uh, in the week. Uh, and then let's see, we've got Billy Hughes will round things up for us today. He, of course, is the mayor of Gulfport, Mississippi. I wanted to let uh, our audience know that we did extend an invitation to Democrat candidate for governor Brandon Presley to join Middays today. He, of course, is uh, speaking. He may have already spoken. I haven't seen the, the uh, speaking agenda for today the speaker agenda but candidates for governor are speaking today so i assume it's today and i've seen his people of course walking around the fair with their signs and and uh, their shirts and so forth but he declined his campaign declined to come on the program today we're disappointed in that um i personally believe that that's a mistake on his part that's my opinion because I think that anybody that comes on this program, regardless of their political stripes and office they seek as a candidate, benefits from coming on this program. It's, I, I can't imagine why you wouldn't want to have uh, your voice heard. Uh, and, and, of course, those watching us on video, and then, and then you receive uh, or we record it on video, and that's stored on our YouTube site, Superdot YouTube site, which can then be shared, of course, and linked. It's it's kind of perplexing to me that uh, Mr. Presley decided why he uh, did not want to come on the program. So it's um, it's it's a little uh, a bit of a head scratcher. I'm disappointed as well. I was looking forward to visiting with Mr. Presley. He's been on the program before in his capacity as public service commissioner for the northern district so he's certainly accustomed to the middays environment but he declined just want to pass that on folks we have got uh, some economic news as well on a nationwide basis and that is the federal reserve increased interest rates no surprise there by half a point yesterday that is the 11th such increase in this cycle and I think what also got investors' eyes 
was that they're not likely done. Basically, they still have a 2% inflation target. We're well above that, around 5%, the Fed's target being 2%. And Fed Chairman Jerome Powell said, we don't think we're going to get there until 2025, signaling that we may see another rate hike. He just doesn't know. He's playing it by ear to see what happens with respect to to not only inflation but just economic activity. If it starts to pull back into a recession, that's usually when you'll see a relaxation of rates. But the Fed chairman said, yeah, we don't know if that's in the offing or not, but we do feel like we're going to maintain rates relatively high, certainly compared to the 0% rate we had for several years. Uh, for the next couple of years, those rates will stay at, at that uh, that level. And so that's likely, I would think, to have a significant impact negatively on economic activity, economic output, certainly mortgage rates, how that affects the housing industry, just the cost of, of debt and borrowing money, period, affects a lot of economic output and just economic transactions. You think about buying a vehicle, any other major transaction, major purchase, but from a commercial perspective, businesses, they're looking at the cost of capital, and they may be considering borrowing money to invest in equipment, for example, or just other business needs, and they probably start to put that off as they see these interest rates at a high level. And we're already seeing um, metrics that show that there has been a decrease in capital investment. So those issues are, I think, going to hound President Joe Biden as he approaches re-election next year. That's This is when we're likely to see uh, these interest rate hikes and, and some of the other headwinds on the economy start to take hold. Meta had a bang-up quarter, and it is stock is up. That's Facebook parent, of course. It stocks up considerably today. It was, last time I checked, 20 minutes or so ago. Microsoft, the day before, reported... And, and though they had a, a stellar quarter, their guidance for their Azure cloud services really didn't measure up to investor expectations, and so they got pounded. But it's recovered somewhat since then, I think just based on their AI play. It's still relatively expensive, expensive trading at about 38 times uh, 38 times earnings. So that's that's pretty high multiple there. Mike from Madison on the ceasefire text line says, Any candidate who declines free media is a dumb decision. Bob and Starkville said he is terrified of you, uh, Gerard. Right before that, he said, typical weak liberal. You know, Bubba, I hope that's not the case. I hope that's not the case because I don't want anybody to be terrified of me or coming on the show. Uh, I think folks that have, um, have witnessed our interview style know that we, we don't we don't attack anybody and we we may disagree with them we may um, ask them to explain their differing positions we may hear them say things that uh, I believe are not factual and I'll I'll point that out sometimes I wait even till the interview is over because I don't want to j- just get in a back and forth and then I'll I'll share that with the audience but uh, mr. Presley should know better I believe, and he wouldn't. There's no reason to be afraid. Let's put it that way. It doesn't make make any sense whatsoever. John and Pontotoc says he is running a racist campaign, just like the National Party. 
You know, maybe, John, I haven't seen a whole lot of that. You you may have. Uh, what I've seen more than anything is him just attack Governor Tate Reese. And I think mainly where he attacks the governor, two fronts, two, two subjects. The first would be um, his connection uh, or attempt to connect the governor to the TANF welfare scandal. Uh, he, he's really hammered that that narrative, and I think the other would be just the state of the healthcare industry in Mississippi and how he believes that that uh, the governor has not taken appropriate action there to address that issue, and that he has plans. I've seen his plans. I don't think his four-point high-level plan for healthcare honestly addresses the core issue whatsoever. And the core issue in Mississippi is just poverty, and and the way to address poverty, in my view, is with economic growth. And the way to grow the economy is uh, through a low-tax, low-regulatory environment and then just let unfettered capitalism do its thing. That is, that's what made this country so prosperous, so wealthy relative to the rest of the world. And the Democrats simply do not, not only do they not believe that, they denounce it. And we shared with you the other day some recent polls that show that the majority of students in college, at the college level, do not have a, have a favorable view of capitalism. That's disturbing, but that's because the colleges are, are filled, replete with Marxist professors that are indoctrinating them. And, and when they see so-called income inequality, hey, they got more money than me. Well, that's because of capitalism. No, you got the same opportunity. Just get off your butt and go to work is, I think, what the message ought to be. I have seen lots of Presley supporters, like I said, uh, walking around. i got to tell you, Rhino, there are a couple that are dressed in uh, the orange jumpsuits that you would obviously see on an offender in a prison. And one of them has a big pre-printed, professionally printed name tag that says Zach. And the other one says Nancy, referring to Zach and Nancy New, who, of course, I think have pled guilty to the deal and were clearly involved and right in the center of all that. And they're walking around with that, and they both have bags that are stuffed with paper it appears look like bags you would big bags you would use to carry cash money around and and they have um with magic marker uh printed on those bags welfare dollars clever whether or not that moves the needle from a voter perspective i don't think so i think he's unsuccessfully uh, connected the governor uh to the tanf scandal in in my view but he's going to continue to hammer that, I believe. Willie Simmons, Transportation Commissioner for the Central District, will be up on middays. We're in the Element Wealth Studios at the Neshoba County Fair. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. You shake my nerves and you rattle my brain. Too much love as a man insane. You broke my wind. What about a thread? Getting this directed to quitting balls of fire. I let the love all I thought it was funny. You keep it on and you move. Now, honey, I change my mind. Look at 
We are back at the Neshoba County Fair at Founder Square trying to get Commissioner Willie Simmons' headset all set up for him so he can speak and we can hear him. We appreciate you, Commissioner, for coming on the program today. How's it going, sir? It's going well. Uh, like you, I'm enjoying this fair. This beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, it's awesome, man. One of a kind. Yes. No doubt like about it. it. No, no doubt about it. Like your shirts there. You got the NBOT yes. uh, logo. You, of course, serve as the transportation commissioner for the central district of the great state of Mississippi, which includes my district as well. And, and we certainly appreciate your efforts there. Um, you've spoken already today, right? I spoke to the crowd, and uh, hopefully they agree with most of the things I said. <laughs> and, well, and what's your message? My message today is I came in 2019 yeah. and made promises. And in making those promises, I came back today so that they could do a report card on me and take a look at how well I may have done with the promises I made. And some of those promises was that we was going to work to get more money into the system. And this year we have a $1.4 billion budget, which is the largest we've ever gotten. Now, of course, we don't appropriate the money. That's done by the state legislature. Uh, So we are grateful and thankful to them for helping us get to where we need to be. The federal government sent us about a billion dollars that we're going to get over the next five years. So when you combine the new money that we are getting, we are now in a position to start building capacity projects, uh, $450 million worth of projects. Hmm. And that was one of the things that we uh, made a promise for in addition to paving our highways. And we have taken the lottery money, some $80 million a year, and we have put in over $200 million into paving projects. So our total money... Uh, in the central district for paving projects since 2000 uh, exceeds 450 million dollars wow yeah you're right 80 million from the mississippi lottery corporation that's an on an annual basis and and anything over that goes to the education enhancement fund so we've we've hit that threshold uh in all three full years of operations and then in the first year seven months of operations produced about 78 million so that sounds like you've gotten about 200 million has come from the lottery, the lottery. yes, which which uh, adds up and can be used very uh, uh, in a very valuable way, certainly across the whole state. Well, you know, Gerard, when you was driving on our highways prior to us getting those dollars, uh, especially our two lane highways that had not been full lane, not been paved in twenty years, uh, you was tearing up your cars. Yeah, uh, it was unsafe. Uh, you were getting a lot of uh, hydroplaning. So uh, we're fixing those kind of things. So we're making the highways safer, and they look better, and they ride much better. Okay. And then we've got uh, a big pot of federal money that uh, should be coming our way as, as well, right, with the passing of the Infrastructure Act, $1.2 trillion. And uh, some of that was just reauthorization of existing funds. But about last I looked at, I think about $700 billion was new money. So we should be poised to receive some of that, right? We are we, we are going to get about a billion of that okay. over five-year period, which is going into our budget. Okay. And it allows us to do some of the things that we couldn't do, such as additional paving and maintenance and taking care of some of our bridges. Uh, we have spent over $100 million uh, on our bridges during the last four years, in addition to what the state legislature is doing. Uh, when I was in the legislature in 2018, under Governor Brown's administration, when he called a special session, we put in place uh, emergency road and bridge program, and we put two hundred fifty million dollars in the bond bill. And since that time, the state legislature has continued to fund it at about a hundred million dollars a year. Okay, 
And uh, I think we could both agree that that uh, a good quality infrastructure is is also a critical need in economic development. What, what do you hear? I know you work with some of the economic development folks uh, across the district. What do you hear from them about the need for uh, good, sufficient infrastructure to accommodate business growth and expansion? James L. Jones said in the movie a long time ago, uh, fields and dreams, if you build it, they'll come. Yeah. And it's so true. And the local citizen, as well as the local leadership in our counties and municipalities, understand that if you don't have a good infrastructure system, you're not going to be able to attract or maintain existing businesses. So they advocate for We work very closely with the governor's office, uh, MDA, uh, who is creating these mega sites. And when those mega sites are created, that's for industry to come into. We come in and support in building out the infrastructure system so that when an industry is courting and looking at Mississippi, uh, we have a shovel-ready site, mega site, that those industries can come into. As we develop more of those and we, Department of Transportation, work closer with MDA, you're going to see more sites throughout the state of Mississippi and more opportunities for us to recruit and maintain businesses. Uh, I would I would argue, working in Economic Development Commissioner, that top of their list typically is availability of qualified workforce. Number two is usually infrastructure. No question. A- access to roads, bridges, and, and, and other forms of, of transportation as well. It's number two on the list. Well, you can have all the money you want to put into a medical facility, a good school system, uh, good economic development opportunities, but if you don't build the infrastructure, the people can't get there. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like that the three commissioners are aligned in, in that position, they all understand the, the critical need for that to, to grow our economy. You know, I would say this, the Department of Transportation commissioners. Okay, yeah. Okay. We, uh, Commissioner King and Commissioner Carwell and myself, two Republicans, I'm the Democrat. Yeah. We could be used as a model for this country on how to work together across party lines and getting rid of political partisanism to make things work because those two Republican commissioners, along with myself as a Democrat, we never look at a project or a highway and say, this is a Republican or a Democrat or an independent highway, so I can't support it. We look at a highway and we define what the needs are and what the advantages of bringing that particular quarter into the system, and we support it. If the rest of the country in Washington, D.C. and in Jackson, Mississippi, would take a look at the three commissioners, Department of Transportation, and decide that they're going to work for the good of the <laughs> citizen and the good of the state, we would have a much better political system. And, and can't we add Director Brad White into that mix as well? He seems to be a person that doesn't really care about Republican, Democrat, just wants good roads and bridges for the state of Mississippi. Brad White is a blessing to the state of Mississippi. And he is a king, I would say, for the Department of Transportation. Uh, he knows his role. He doesn't try to be a commissioner. But as the executive officer, uh, I'm going to say Brad White is the best executive officer we have in the state of Mississippi this particular time. Now, that may be a little biased in my saying that. But I say that because of Brad's ability, his knowledge, his experience, having been the chairperson or the executive director for uh, Senator Cochran, Senator Hyde Smith, uh, the governor, Tate Reed, and now being our CEO, he brings a tremendous amount of experience, but he's a humble person. He's a person who gets it, and he's a great leader for the professional staff that we have at the Department of Transportation. He seems to always give credit to the team. Exactly. And, and not himself, and I respect that about him. All right, so tell me how the campaign's going. 
campaign is going. Uh, I'm running scared. Uh, I have a guy who is going to be my challenger in November yeah. uh, as a Republican. But once again, uh, that's the only label that I can put on him is he's a Republican candidate. <laughs> but I'm working for the good of the citizens. So I'm asking all of the citizens in the district, 22 counties that I represent, both Republican and Democrats and independents to vote for Willie Simmons, who have done a tremendous job in working towards taking care of the promises that we made in 2019 and the promises we made going forward. So I would say the campaign is going well, uh, but we got a long way to go. We're not going to take anything for granted. We're going to work hard over the next few months and win the election. Do you feel like, uh, Commissioner, that having served in your first term and the experience that you gained in that respect could be valuable to you in a second term? Gerard is most valuable. Uh, I have 12 years of experience. Uh, I served as chairperson of the Transportation Committee on the Senate side for eight years, uh, having been appointed by Governor Reed uh, when he was lieutenant governor to serve in that capacity which gave me a worth of knowledge and experience about the Department of Transportation as well as the resources and the system is how it worked. And then having served as the commissioner, uh, so going from a senator who's handling the budget and taking care of the policies in the Senate and then coming to actually implementing and carrying out and allocating the money uh, as opposed to appropriating it has put me in a position that very few people can bring to the table and say they have that kind of experience uh, in running for Transportation Commission. Also, I have a good network relationship with the counties, 22 counties that's in my district, uh, the mayors that's in the district. So when you combine the relationships and the collaboration that we have put together, the relationship and cooperation that we have in working with the other two commissioners, Mm -hmm. the experience that I bring as a former senator, uh, chairman of the Transportation Committee, and the four years' experience as commissioner, I'm the person. Is that going to be your message in the campaign when we lead up to the general election? When that you face my, your that is my message, okay. most definitely. Okay. Yes, well, Commissioner, it's always good to see you, sir. We certainly appreciate you coming on the program today and appreciate your insight and service to the state of Mississippi, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you some more. Right. I look again. forward to it. Thank you. Yes, sir. Commissioner yeah. Willie Simmons, Transportation Commissioner of the Central District, has been our guest on Middays. When we return, we've got a representative from the Mississippi Aquarium, either going to be Patrick Pearson or President and CEO Kurt Allen. Stay with us for that interview, please. We're in the Element Well studio. We're at Founder Square at Mississippi's Giant House Party. That's the Neshoba County Fair. Stay with us. Are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Middays live from the Neshoba County Fair, Founder Square. That's where we have set up the Element Wealth Studio. Once again, special thanks to Scott Bounds, Representative Scott Bounds, and our friends at the Neshoba County Fair Commission for their continued help and partnership in bringing our live coverage of the fair 
to the airwaves each year and for helping us get an Internet connection. Very important. That's the only way we can broadcast the show. We have to connect to the Internet to make the broadcast possible. So we appreciate Scott Bounds and the fair uh, folks as well, the Neshoba County Fair Commission. Joining us now is Kurt Allen, President and CEO of the Mississippi Aquarium. Kurt, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, so uh, tell us why the Mississippi Aquarium uh, makes its presence here at the Neshoba County Fair. Well, the Neshoba County Fair is something everyone has to do at least once. <laughs> but for the aquarium, we uh, we actually have a mobile unit, uh, education unit, that we travel around the state. So we can bring a little bit of the coast to people that don't uh, make it down. So we brought our education trailer up, and we're showing that off and going around the state saying hi to folks and telling them about the aquarium. When was the aquarium built? Yeah, we, we started construction in uh, early 2018, and we opened in August of 2020 in the smack dab in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> and uh, so we're coming up on our three-year anniversary. And where is it? Right downtown Gulfport. So, you know, the, the location overlooking Jones Park in the harbor is just a beautiful spot. And, uh, you know, the leaders that put that together were, were thinking ahead because it really, we're trying to use the aquarium for an economic uh, stimulus and driver to try to get downtown, yeah. get some more redevelopment downtown and, and in the three years even five years since we even started construction we've seen we've seen that ripple effect of some, some good economic opportunities with restaurants and coffee shops and hotels all opening and, yeah. and they will tell us that they did it because of the aquarium so uh, th- that's really the main motive is to bring some family friendly entertainment down to the coast and then drive some more uh, economic sustainability down there. The casinos, of course, Kurt, are a big yeah. tourist attraction. We have lots of travelers into or from out of state into the Gulf Coast, and, and they stay at the casinos and enjoy that. Do they come by the aquarium? Some. Uh, you know, it's funny. We didn't have the casino guest as part of our market share <laughs> because the casinos don't like them leaving the floor. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they, they want to empty their pockets. They're pretty good about but, keeping them there. But yeah. to say that the casinos have been very good partners with us, and we do see see uh, more than what we anticipated coming out of the casino, so it's okay. been a nice surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Do, you, do you see people that do come from out of state, though? You have a lot oh, of visitors? Oh, yeah. We, we've got, uh, we look at our heat map from where the credit card zip codes are, yeah. and uh, it's all over. It's California to the Carolinas to New York to Illinois, uh, but our bread and butter really is uh, kind of... Houston, kind of going the I-10 corridor, going over to Houston, going all the way to Jacksonville and everything in between, going up to Nashville, Birmingham, Atlanta, uh, and kind of putting a dome around that. And that six-hour drive market seems to be the the biggest bang. There's aquariums, of course, all over the country. Are there some unique features of, of the Mississippi Aquarium? Yeah, you know, every aquarium looks at who's around and what do we do different uh you know the closest one for us is is audubon in new orleans but uh we're an inside outdoor facility so outside we've got beavers uh nobody's seen a beaver exhibit like people come in and say man i've never seen a live beaver and we've got three beavers called the beaver brothers uh their names are elvis bb and king and so we stuck to the the blues heritage for the state of mississippi to name our beavers and they're really cool and we're getting them trained so you can actually come in and pet them and take pictures with them We've got alligators. We've got a freshwater river. We have a walk-through aviary outside, and then we've got dolphins outside. And then inside, we've got the big fish tanks and everything else to look at. So we're we're a little unique because of uh, just how we're set up, trying to take advantage of the beautiful weather we have. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, about approximately how many visitors uh, tour the aquarium annually? 
Yeah, we get uh, you know two hundred fifty thousand plus a year. Wow. Um, so it's been it's been good. Uh, you know the it, it's fun to watch people walk through the kids just. You know, it's lighting their faces up is yeah. really what what it's all about. And um, but it's been uh, it's been a good three years, and we've got we've got a lot going on right now too. So we've got some new expansion plans that we're doing. And right, so what are the what are the hours and the cost? Ten to five, uh, ten to five every day of the year. A couple of different hours on holidays, but uh, cost changes by day. And if you buy online, if you walk up to the counter, so really you just go to msaquarium.org and all the information is there. Um, if you just walk up, thirty-one ninety-five for adults, uh, discounts for seniors and kids. What what kind of qualifications do you have to have in, in the people to actually maintain the exhibits? Yeah, most of our, uh, so you've got dolphin trainers that are um, marine biology and psychology degrees and wow. things like that and then the, uh, the the fish people are in the marine biology side um, and everybody you hire uh, really has come from somewhere else because you're never you almost always hire someone with experience yeah. and in our industry it's a small industry so people move around from one facility to another Kurt Appreciate you coming on. Tell us about the Mississippi Aquarium. Thanks for having me. Appreciate Kurt it. Kurt Allen, president and CEO of the Mississippi Aquarium. It's top of the hour. That means Fox News, Super Talk News coming up next. And then after that break, in the next hour, we've got the commissioner of the Mississippi Department of Public Safety, Sean Tindall. Also, Governor Tate Reeves. Please stay with us on Middays from the Neshoba County Fair. to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone hour two of middays in the element well studio live from founder square at mississippi's giant house party that of course the neshoba county fair don't forget the sports talk mississippi team will be at trustmark park and the home of the mississippi braves tomorrow for or today pardon me today for a special event kllm will be unveiling to the public the 2023 ole miss msu southern miss and jsu football equipment custom wrapped tractor trailers i've seen some photos of these new tractor trailers and they are really remarkable they're awesome sports talk broadcasting later today from there and then tomorrow The Sports Talk folks are going to be in Hattiesburg for the 2023 Dixie Youth Baseball D1 and D2 World Series. There are going to be a ton of teams coming in for a World Series from states as far away as Virginia and North Carolina to represent their respective states in the 2023 Dixie Youth Baseball World Series. Once again, Sports Talk Mississippi at the Larry Doliak Baseball Complex in Hattiesburg. That would be tomorrow that would be tomorrow we are um 
I just witnessed, Rhino, the speeches delivered by gubernatorial candidate Brandon Presley running as a Democrat and, of course, the incumbent Governor Tate Reeves running for re-election. And uh, what I'm noticing here, folks, uh, just in front of me here uh, around the pavilion is that supporters of both of these candidates are... I don't want to say they're clashing with each other. Let's just say they're in close proximity to each other. There's no sort of physical rough-ups or anything like that. But they're close to each other, and they are, of course, sporting their signs. And they also are uh, kind of belting out the names of their favorite candidate. I heard Tate, Tate, Brandon, Brandon. (laughs) And they're moving the signs up and down, springing them up and down. You know, it's hey, it's politics. That's pretty cool. That uh, This little uh, incident that I'm referring to occurring right behind the uh, the pavilion. There is a, a back door that's just behind the stage in the pavilion where the, the podium lies and the candidates speak, address the crowd, and then they typically exit uh, directly out the back of the pavilion there is a door leading out the back and and they're all assembled there and they're showing their support for their candidate so i think that is a glimpse of what we can see both of these candidates uh, today similar to the republican primary lieutenant governor's race both of these candidates took shots at the other of course the governor touting his record and warning people about brandon presley's connection to the national democrat party and how detrimental that would be and how much that conflicts with the values held by most mississippians and uh, man brandon presley Golly, he got very personal with the governor, saying he just doesn't give a rip about health care. Paraphrasing a bit, I don't remember all the the various words that he used. They weren't that memorable, but he took a shot at him, and that's been consistent with his narrative since he's been running. It's it's the governor's not taking action to his liking on the health care situation in the state, and of course, once again, he tries to connect him. I argue unsuccessfully at this point because there's been no legal action. Tries to connect him to the TANF welfare scandal. If you didn't catch me in the last uh, hour, we had one segment without a guest. I have noticed there are a couple of individuals walking around the fair that are dressed in very familiar-looking orange jumpsuits, that which you would see often in a, a prison in a correctional institution. So uh, each of them have uh, attached to the front of their jumpsuit fairly large little name tags uh, that are are professionally produced. One has Zach, referring to Zach New. One has Nancy, referring to uh, Nancy New. And, of course, their involvement that uh, has, has been uncovered in the TANF welfare scandal deal. And their, their objective, of course, is to attach uh, Tate Reeves uh, to that. And that's, uh, I'd say, creative. I'm not really sure that that's going to get a lot of traction. Once again, wanted to pass on uh, that Brandon Presley, candidate for uh, governor on the Democrat ticket, declined our offer to come on middays we are disappointed by that because we really wanted to talk to him and and have him tell the people on our air uh, about his vision as governor for the state of mississippi so that's unfortunate that he would not uh, come on Uh, things got 
a a little testy yesterday with the uh, speeches during the speeches by Delbert Hoseman, Lieutenant Governor, and Challenger Chris McDaniel. T- and by testy, I mean that the the crowds in attendance during those speeches for the other candidate, the people that were in the pavilion close to the podium, somewhat supporting the other candidate while a particular candidate, one of those two, was speaking. Uh, they were barking things at the, at the candidate, showing their disapproval uh, for that particular candidate. And uh, Many of their supporters were here at the fair yesterday, as you might expect, wearing their shirts, holding their signs, etc. So this is, this is setting up to be... Uh, a really contentious remaining less than two weeks, right? We're we're uh, less than two weeks removed from the primary. Two days into that two-week period. Uh, next Tuesday, we'll be down to one week from the primary, and it's going to be uh, fascinating, honestly. I, I don't really have a prediction at this point of the outcome, but I think in the primary, it's fair to say all eyes are on the race for lieutenant governor. Interesting. Gerard, the governor, filed, fired the lawyer on the TANF case Got politi- for political reasons. He himself inserted him into it, says Dwight on the, the ceasefire text line. Well, I don't know if that indicates that he inserted himself into it. I think he seeks the truth, and I think he seeks the law to be upheld. That's my take on it. Ben from Madison has been texting in today about the ballot initiative process, of course, uh, pardon me, that is an issue that um, is uh, on top of mind for many voters. They want to know where the candidates stand on that. And, and, and I'm not even sure we thought about that a lot until the Supreme Court ruled that the present process in place, embedded in our law, in our Constitution, uh, really does not, of course, is not valid because it does not correspond to the number of congressional districts that exist in the state of Mississippi. It did when when uh, that was inserted in our Constitution. It no longer does, and so that's a problem. And the Supreme Court ruled that you guys really need to go back to the drawing board and create a law that, that matches reality with respect to our congressional districts. And the issue at hand there is when collecting signatures, our law requires that an equal number essentially must be collected uh, from the congressional districts. Unfortunately, the present law specifically states and refers to five, but we only have four. So that doesn't work. So there's there's been legislation introduced in both chambers to reinstate the ballot measure process, but there's a lack of consensus between the House and Senate on the number of signatures that must be gained, obtained, in order to certify a measure to appear on the ballot. Uh, I think the legislature will certainly take that up in the next session. We'll just see where we get. It'll be interesting. Oh, gosh. Rusty doesn't seem to be a fan of the governor. We just get to listen to tater about why should we re-elect him while our local hospitals are dying and closing. Let's not forget the poor people who are struggling while money for them is going to his friends. What do you mean money for him is going to his friends? And then I think, once again, this is sort of a fundamental uh, difference, a conflict 
between, um, shall we say, political philosophies on what is the appropriate role of government. I have concerns about the hospitals in the state of Mississippi, health care in general. I certainly have concerns about poverty. I've talked about that countless times in the state of Mississippi. The question is, what's government's responsibility in addressing that issue and curing that problem? You can't just start writing checks to people. We've seen how that's worked out at the national level. All it's done is create more dependence and, honestly, more poverty. The, the, the route out of poverty is to scale and grow the economy. And the way to scale and grow the economy is to implement good, conservative, pro-business, economic growth policies uh, that uh, will spur growth and will give people opportunities so they can move up the income ladder. Uh, the fundamental problem in the state of Mississippi is we're just poor. So how do we get people off the rolls of welfare and government ought to be the goal not to expand and create more. And that all comes from private sector growth. By the way, Joe Biden runs around bragging about job growth. Check this out from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. The category of worker that incurred the most growth in the last month, government. That's where all the job growth is, in government. That's not going to solve the problem. Commissioner Sean Tindall with the Department of Public Safety up next. Middays with Gerard. What? What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Middays live from the Element Well Studio, Founders Square at the Neshoba County Fair. That's where we are, and it is campaign election year, and uh, the speeches are getting a little fiery, shall we say. When I can hear them when I'm parking up on the road, you know that some folks are really getting after it there on the stage in the pavilion, but we are pleased to welcome to the program uh, Mr. Sean Tyndale. He serves as the Commissioner of the Mississippi Department of Public Safety. Commissioner, always good to see you, sir. Great to be here on this hot, hot, hot I know. July day and <laughs> at the Neshoba County Fair. I wanted to first uh, just pass on that I saw the colonel, Colonel Randy Ginn, and some of the state troopers assembled around the pavilion earlier today, went over and shook their hand, thanked them for their service. They're so great, aren't they? They are. They're wonderful. We've had our, our CTED enforcement guys, some of our Bureau of Narcotics uh, agents out here, plain clothes. So even the one, you see the ones in the uniform, but there's others that yeah. you don't even know are here, and they're yeah. out here doing their job, making this a safe fair, working with local law enforcement, and, you know, really Really, you, you have to search pretty hard to, to go back and find a major incident that occurred at this fair. Yeah. So. Always enjoy, of course, uh, talking to Captain Turnipseed as well. He comes on, gives us a good report from the traffic across the state on the busy travel weekends. And, and we appreciate them, uh, many of them, rather than being at home with their families on these holidays. That's they're right. out keeping us safe on the roads, and we appreciate that. That's right. You know, and, and it's not just on holidays. It's when we have a natural disaster or any yeah. other major event. When, when folks are at the barbecue grill with their family, these officers are out there making the community safe. And so, uh, from you know Tupelo to to Moss Point to Gulfport up to DeSoto County, uh, we've got a fine group of law enforcement in this state that, that works very hard to keep our community safe. 
Give us an update. How, how's it going overall with the department? I think the, things uh, are department? going great. We, uh, of course, we're at a new trooper school, and under Governor Reeves' administration, this will be, I think, the first time since the Fordyce administration that we've gone four consecutive years of a governor's administration with a trooper school, and, and we're going to continue that trend for the next four years. Uh, Class 68 will be starting in, in, in January 2024, um, and we're looking forward to getting those individuals who qualify and are willing to make the sacrifice out on the road. Uh, MBN's growing in its mission. Uh, we, we did a tour of North Mississippi meeting with local law enforcement, talking to community leaders about different ways our Bureau of Narcotics can assist with the, the record number of o- overdose deaths that we're seeing and, and drug use on our college campuses. Yeah. And, and really, CTES doing a great job working with our, our commercial trucking industry on moving products but keeping our roads safe and, and driver services rocking along. Your wait times, if you go, went from three hours to about 15 minutes. And it's so awesome. I've it, experienced it, it personally. It's awesome. Yeah. And so, we, we know, we're trying to use technology as our friend, bring sure. innovation and, and look at different ways of doing things. And, of course, we've got Capitol Police. Those men and women are, are working with Hines County and Jackson PD to really – Make the capital city. Safe. Yeah, how's that going? It's I mean, that's good. that's brand new. It's brand new. We we've had some trials and tribulations early on, earning the the trust of the communities that we're serving took some time, and but but I think they're getting more comfortable with us, and and with that, uh, the officers are out there able to do a better job, and and we've really seen, uh, I think, a positive impact on that community and our capital city uh, with the extra law enforcement that we have out there right yeah. now. You have any any thoughts or or opinion if you wanted to share about uh, how the the lawsuit's going to land at this point? You know, I, I really don't know. Um, I spend a little time on the court myself, and so I have a lot of faith yeah. that the judicial system uh, will do its best to get it right, and and we'll see what that that ends up being. But I think ultimately, even if certain portions of it are overturned, the court or or others, it's something the legislature can come back and fix. Uh, but but I do believe that the district lines as they stand are, are going to be okay, the Capitol Police are going to be okay, and we're just going to keep doing the mission that we have been, which is to enforce our laws, hold criminals accountable, uh, and, and make sure that the CCID and then the Capital City for all visitors is, is a place to come and live and go to school and, and visit your Capitol, visit your court, visit your Supreme Court, visit your uh, museums, and, and not have to worry about being robbed or pillaged when you come. should never have to worry when you go into the Capital City. That's you right. should that's right. Yeah. And so, so a, it, it's it's been a really good good I think few years. We're looking forward to the future. Uh, we've got some things on the table I think are going to be important. Uh, we're going to make a big push this year to bring back mandatory driver's education classes hmm. in every school in the state. Uh, the reality is we, we spend a lot of time talking about active shooters. Uh, we lose far more teenagers to fatal accidents on our highways. Uh, than we do in active shooter situations. So we need to we need to get that back in the classrooms and make sure these young drivers are getting the training they need to be safe. What about uh, new headquarters? Aren't you guys working on that? That has come along great. Uh, you know, the legislature has been a real friend of making that happen. People don't realize, you know, the Department of Public Safety, the Mississippi Highway Patrol, Mississippi Bureau of Investigation, Bureau of Narcotics, Office of Homeland Security, Driver Services, Capitol Police, CTED, Public Safety Planning, uh, I think I said Office of Homeland Security. Yeah. Um, we've got 11 different divisions. we got the medical lab, medical examiner's office, as well as the forensics lab. And all of those have been spread out all over. The headquarters for each of those divisions have been in different places. And so for the first time in our agency history, you're going to have everybody underneath one roof, and that's going to improve communications. It's going to improve morale. It's going to improve our ability to be good leaders uh, throughout the state. And then I think... 
uh, it was a great move by the legislature, not just to put us in a pretty new building, uh, but to improve law enforcement and public safety in our state. Now, what about the crime lab? Is that under your purview as well? It is. The Mississippi Forensics Lab is under our purview, and we've got a new director there, Mary Dukes. Uh, she's been doing a fine job bringing in uh, new analysts to help with the backlog that we've had. We've got some staffing out. issues there. We, we do. We do, and it's tough. You know, uh, when, when you're trying to recruit young people for a career working at the, the crime lab, it's one of those things that's looked good on TV. Uh, but then they get there, and they realize that, you know, th- there's some challenges day in and day out to analyzing drugs. And, and so we've tried to make that a more attractive job with the salaries. Uh, but also with, with some of the other things that we do to build morale and, and improve the, the working conditions there. And, and I, I think in the long run that's going to make a major impact. We're also looking at doing some regional labs uh, because the reality is we have a lot of talent in this state, but it doesn't all live in Jackson. Yeah. And we need to be able to take advantage of those that want to go into that career path, but maybe they live in Columbus or Tupelo or the Gulf Coast or Hattiesburg and have regional labs they can work out of. Our medical examiner's office has done a great job, and we got there had a backlog to 2012 for autopsy reports that had not been completed. Wow. Uh, we're getting up to 2020 now hmm. and, and really making a major turnaround there under the leadership of Dr. Stacy Turner uh, as the chief medical examiner. Uh, what about the pay for our troopers and your staff? Uh, uh, do you believe it's time for the legislature to throw an increase in there? I think we have to. And, and the reality is inflation's hit everybody hard, not just uh, in, on, on the law enforcement and state trooper side, but, but across the board. Uh, but I can tell you two years ago we got a record pay raise for our state troopers. It uh, went from about forty three to 50000 to start. Uh, but now Tennessee is starting at sixty-five. Arkansas really? is starting at sixty. Um, Louisiana's uh, in the mid sixties. Alabama's getting up there. So we've got to stay ahead of it, uh, and, and we're going to make a big push this year to get uh, the trooper salaries and our NBN agent salaries uh, up to sixty thousand as a starting salary. How are we doing just from uh, a staffing in, in terms of numbers? Do we have adequate staff? Do we have open positions we need to fill? We've got open positions. Um, you know, but nationwide, that's a problem in law enforcement. Yeah. You look back to 2020 and the narratives that were pushed down on law enforcement across the country, it drove a lot of people out of wanting to sure. get in this profession. And what I've tried to emphasize to our, our law enforcement leadership, and when, particularly when we're looking at filling those vacancies, we can't let the demand of filling the vacancy negate the the quality of people that we need to get in those positions. So you so, want you want to maintain the standards even though you need people. That's right. Because we're seeing those be diluted across our country in a variety of disciplines. One hundred percent. And that's what you know, a lot of it was the talk of defunding police. But now, if you look at what they've done, is in essence, they, they've tried to create a situation where law enforcement will lower its standards to improve their narrative against law enforcement. And what we're trying to do is make sure that we get those standards up, yeah. that we improve the salaries. I personally believe, and I'm going to push, that the minimum salary for any law enforcement officer in this state ought to start at $40,000 a year. You shouldn't go into law enforcement and have to work two or three jobs to do it. And, is that and, happening? Oh yes, everywhere. I mean, there's some local departments that are starting off at thirty-two, thirty-one thousand, and and when you do that, those officers that have families, they got to go work second jobs, and they're not going to be on their A game if they're working eighty hours a week 
we need them on their A game, and, and they need to be able to do one job, and that's to be a law enforcement officer and make our community safe. Yeah. Um, so we're going to make a push for the local guys, but we're also going to make a push for our state law enforcement to get up there so that we can compete with Tennessee and Texas. Texas starts them off at 90000 $95,000 a year. Wow. And, and so we, we've got to do some stuff, and we're going to do that. Uh, our guys make a sacrifice. Our ladies make a sacrifice, often at the expense of their own families. And we're going to try to create an environment where they can do one job and not have to work two or three jobs just to be a law enforcement yeah, officer. absolutely. Commissioner Sean Tindall has been our guest on Middays. Always good to see you, sir. And once again, uh, my thanks uh, to the good folks at the Mississippi Highway Patrol and all the agencies that you oversee, all those folks, like you said, even behind the scenes, uh, they work to keep us safe, they and do. we appreciate that. Well, we appreciate what y'all do. Thank you for being out here. Yes, sir. Thank you. We're stepping aside for a break right here on Middays on Founder Square, Mississippi's giant house party. When we come back, it's the governor of the great state of Mississippi, Tate Reeves. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi live from the Deshoba County Fair. We are on Founder Square, just a few paces away from the iconic pavilion. It's Mississippi's giant house party, and we are pleased to welcome to the program the governor of the great state of Mississippi, Governor Tate Reeves. Governor, good to see you, sir. Great to be on, Gerard. Always a pleasure, but it's really fun to be at the Neshoba County Fair and, Isn't it and still be on the radio. It's so awesome. <laughs> it really is. And we are so pleased to uh, be able to broadcast from here. We, we give a shout-out to Representative Scott Bounds and the Neshoba County Fair Commission for accommodating us, making sure we got everything we need to carry the show from here. I think it's important. we got folks from all over the state, as you know, tuned in they want to hear the message from the candidates no doubt about it looks scott does a fantastic job the whole fair commission i've been coming here now uh for close to 40 years i've been speaking now for 21 years and they just do a phenomenal job and and the people here love it i mean the people here love uh, the camaraderie, the getting on the porches and talking to folks, but they love the political side of it as well. Um, and it's just one of those uh, can't-miss opportunities. Uh, and I'm looking forward to coming back the next four years as governor. Absolutely. And so the uh, we can't leave out the food, right, Governor? <laughs> and the, our, our Mississippi uh, Department of Agriculture and Commerce, of course, always accommodates with great barbecue. Our friend Hayes Patrick cooks that, cooks that up for us and brings some over to the Super Talk team. It's Food's pretty good. If you can't find good food, here you can't find it anywhere. Look, if you can't find good food here, then you're in the wrong spot. I can tell you that because it is there. I can sit here and see probably 40 cabins right now. There's good food at every one. Everyone, I assure you're you. right. And you know what uh, is so remarkable and unique, as you well know, you walk by them all, and even if they don't know you, they're going to invite you in. 
to, to enjoy some food with them. That's just the hospitality that we exhibit here at, at the Shelby County Fair that reflects on all of Mississippi. Uh, no doubt. Look, and, and that's really, I, I talked a lot about that in my speech today. I, I didn't really tell my story in my speech. I told our story um, because our story is what's happening here at the Neshoba County Fair. It's good people coming together, uh, enjoying each other's company, um, and working together for a better Mississippi. You, yeah. Do we fall short from time to time? Sure we do. We all do. And so, um, But the fact is we got a lot of good people in Mississippi working hard every day. Um, and the fact is we have a lot of momentum in our state, and we got to build on it. Governor, I have uh, I've tracked you. Uh, faithfully, your your message, you're very active on social media, etc. And the one thing that I've said on the show is that you seem to be the most focused on growing the economy of the state of Mississippi. You, you seem to believe, as I do, that the, the key to really uh, realizing our full potential is by scaling our economy and that we need good public policy to enable that and and so i wanted to just thank you for highlighting all of our successes in mississippi no doubt about it look um you know the fact is that uh, we find ourselves in a position in mississippi today in which we have the lowest unemployment rate in mississippi history and in fact in march and april and may and june for four consecutive months we had the lowest unemployment rate in state history until the next month came along because it continues to go down now at 3.1 percent the fact is in the old days we used to have a lot of people out looking for jobs today we got a lot of jobs out looking for people and so what we have to do is recognize that um get people that are currently out of the workforce back into the workforce and the way you do that um is the same way you have upward mobility for those who are already there but don't have a lot of skills and that is train the workforce yeah train 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 so that they can do the jobs of the next 50 years which are largely uh, autom- autom- um, automated yep. um, you got to have technology skills you got to be able to work that computer work that machine um, and and those jobs pay better and so when you think about per capita income you and I've talked about this a yep. lot over yep. the years per capita income is the one stat that really matters when I became governor 36,000 a year on average in Mississippi today 45,000 per year up almost 30 percent Yep. Um, over the last uh, four to five years. Again, but we can't rest on our laurels. Like We, we can compete with anybody anywhere in the world, but we got to keep doing what we're doing. we got to keep pushing forward uh, to train our workforce, to bring better and higher-paying jobs, to bring more capital investment. And if I can spend... 98, 99% of my time in the next four years doing exactly that, uh, then I'll be doing what I want to do because I enjoy doing that. Now, as we all know, when I came into office in January of 2020, we uh, had some challenges there, particularly with natural disasters where we had 14 um, federally declared disasters in the first 14 months in office, only one of which was the pandemic. (laughs) Um, And that that took a little bit more time than we would have liked to. But even through that, and in fact, in some cases because of it, because we were able to show CEOs around this world that Mississippians show up, they go to work, and they will produce whatever products you need produced, and they want to they want to locate to a place like Mississippi. And we've experienced some great economic successes, economic development project successes, I should say. Don't you feel like that success begets more success? A hundred and ten percent. Success begets success. When I was meeting with a uh, a CEO within the last 10 days, and I can't tell you what part of the state or, or which company, but um, it's a Fortune 200 company. And just having the ability to say, look at what this company is doing in Mississippi. Look at the decision that this company made. They're investing $2.5 billion. They're investing $600 million. They're investing $400 million. And by the way, a lot of these companies have been here before, just like you've been here before, so you know. 
And so when you when you operate a facility that has 400, 500, 600 employees, you know what our workforce is like. And so we've got a lot of folks from out of state looking to locate here, but we got a lot of people here looking at expanding. Well, and that's in, exciting. In essence, Governor, those are the references on the resume. That's what they are. When you've got other companies that have come and succeeded and say, yeah, it's a good place to do that, and you and I have worked a little bit on, on some of that as well. Uh, but it, it does feel like we have positive momentum in, in that regard. We have a good story to tell. Uh, I think we've done a good job of building out programs to educate our workforce. And you know that anytime these suitors look to come to the state, top issue, number one, can I get the trained workforce I need to run my company? Yeah, and look, and that wasn't always the case. When I started 20 years ago, the first question that was always asked is, how much incentives are you going to give <laughs> what, me? What abatement are you yeah, going to Yeah, how much incentives? And they always get to that question eventually. Yeah. But the number one question today uh, is, number one, Tell me about your workforce. Am I going to be able to produce the product I want to produce and get it to market? And right after that is, tell me about speed to market. How often can I get my facility built? Because we're already behind. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's a that's that's uh, incredibly good. But you're, to your point, um, when you and I are, are working to recruit business and industry, and we're meeting with site consultants or CEOs. Look, the reality is we're supposed to tell them how great Mississippi sure. is. It's when other companies are putting their money where their mouth is, investing hundreds of millions of dollars to grow their existing operation. Hey, that's a better sales pitch than I can ever give. Absolutely. All right, so, Governor, we've had some success in your first term. I think you could point to a lot of those. But what's your vision for the next term? Well, we got to continue um, investing in our teachers. Um, as a conservative, I believe in rewarding success. And make no mistake, uh, it is a verifiable fact that we were 49th in the nation in fourth grade reading results 10 years ago. Today, we're 21st. Ten years ago, we were 50th in the nation in math. Today, we're 23rd. Now, 49th and 50th wasn't good enough 10 years ago. 21st and 23rd ain't good enough today. We're going to keep moving up those charts. Uh, But to do that, we've got to have a governor that understands conservative policies and understands that we are here for a reason. It is not an accident. It is not happenstance. It is because good people oftentimes against the popular opinion enacted conservative policies that made a difference and our kids are the big winners and ultimately those employers that we talked about earlier they're going to be the big winners because when you have the smartest fourth graders in the southeastern united states which it's a verifiable fact that based upon the test results we do today that means in 10 years we're going to have the smartest workforce in the united states southeastern united states and that's what i'm most proud of and i look forward to continuing to build that foundation of capital investment it's an important talking point when we're recruiting industry and investment into the state no doubt so in the time we have remaining uh, who appears to be your your competitor in the general election, assuming you prevail in the primary. He's really taking some shots at you, Governor. Uh, and how would you contrast your <laughs> philosophy to his in the two minutes we got left? Uh, well, uh, two minutes is hard to, to do it, but Gerard, <laughs> here's the fact. I'm a conservative Republican that has a great record to run on, so he can't talk about that. He's a liberal Democrat, and he knows Mississippians don't don't believe what he believes, so he can't talk about that. So like I said today, um, just like the great fiction writers of Mississippi history, he's a fiction writer, <laughs> and he makes stuff up, and everybody knows it. The only people that don't know it are the people from California that he bust in here today uh, to cheer for him. They're the only ones that don't know that everything he says is an outright lie. Do you think he can disassociate or detach himself from the National Democrat Party? Look, when Gavin Newsom comes to Mississippi to campaign for you, 
when Stacey Abrams goes on national podcast and says Mississippi is my target, um, he can try to disassociate himself. But the fact of the matter is, you know, dumb liberal politicians think they can fool the voters. I, the voters know better. The people of Mississippi know better. Um, there is a reason he's in the party of uh, Bernie uh, and um, Joe, Joe Biden. Biden. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, it's absolutely, um, you know, as I said from the stage today, to, to vote for him, you got to believe that the policies of Benny, Biden, and Brandon are good for Mississippi. <laughs> and there's just no way, there's no Three way that B's. Mississippians are going to justify that. I don't think so either. Governor, always a pleasure, sir. Appreciate you coming on, taking some time to come over here and uh, enjoyed your speech this morning. Thanks so much. Appreciate yeah. it, Gerard. You got it. Governor Tate Reeves has been our guest on Middays. When we come back, we've got the chairman of the Mississippi GOP, Frank Bordeaux. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi, live from the Neshoba County Fair, Mississippi's giant house party. We have relocated the Element Wealth Studios over to Founder Square. That's where we are under the Super Talk Mississippi, the dual Super Talk Mississippi tents. They're keeping the shade on me, Rhino, and the fans are going. So it's not all that bad, but I am seeing a lot of people sweating quite a bit today, especially if they move around rather quickly. We hope to have uh, GOP Chairman Frank Bordeaux join us during this segment, but something came up. He's unable to join us. So you got Rhino and me for this final segment of Hour 2 in Hour 3 after the break at the top of the hour. We'll talk to David Hardigree, also a Republican candidate for governor. Philip Gunn, a Speaker of the House, of course, retiring from the legislature. Dr. John Witcher, also a Republican candidate for governor. And we'll wrap things up with the mayor of Gulfport, Mississippi, Billy Hughes. So, Rhino, you probably see the text on the text line from Dwight. Cry more, Dwight. Cry more. (laughs) Says I should be embarrassed. Uh, for that interview. I'm not, Dwight. I'm quite proud of the interview. I'm not going, going to mire in all this mud and uh, just just dig more into all sorts of what are allegations and accusations and not fact. You let me know when there's anything that is official from a legal perspective, and at that point, we'll take it up. But until then, I, I'm not going to join in uh, the fray of people trying to make what I believe is a mountain out of a proverbial molehill, but with, which uh, accusations of which are not rooted 
in fact. They're not rooted in any sort sort of legal actions. Nothing. Zero. I'm not going to do it. But Dwight Uh, really, really, really believes it. (laughs) Well, he can believe it all he wants, and that's fine. And again, until there's something empirical and something that is totally voracious in nature, we're not going to do it. And... Uh, I asked the governor about his track record as governor. I let him address that, speak about that. And then, of course, we asked him about his vision for a second term. I think that's what people want to know about. Uh, unfortunately, there may be people out there that, that want to see various candidates whom they don't support come onto a program like this and just be verbally assaulted and accosted by the host. I don't play that game. Not going to do that. Nor would I do it to Brandon Presley, by the way. If he came on and I'm disappointed he's not, I'm disappointed because I, I really did want him to have the opportunity to uh, to speak his mind and discuss his vision as governor. And, and, I, and I wouldn't get into him about all these, uh, into it with him about all these accusations he, he's made of Governor Tate Reeves because that's pretty much been the essence of his campaign at this point. I want to know where he stands on the issues. We've talked to the governor numerous times before. He served already a four-year term. We know about that. He talked about his vision. And I still remain committed to the, to the notion that Mississippi will not achieve its greatest potential until we scale our economy. Economic growth, pro-growth economic policies, that is the path to more prosperity. That is the path to improving the quality of education, even beyond where it is today. Significant improvements, as the governor highlighted, to go even further. And I believe that is all accomplished with good policy that drives economic growth. Simple as that. And I believe that the governor gets that arguably more than any other candidate in any race, and uh, certainly at that level. And, and he touts it. He, he's engaged in it. I've been with him in, in helping to recruit investment into the state of Mississippi. That's what I believe. Uh, no, Dwight, I have, I have said so many, 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 many times before, I do believe that we have uh, an issue with health care and the health care industry in our state. The difference between me and you, I believe, and if I'm wrong, you let me know, you think the state government just ought to step in and start cutting checks. They already did that using ARPA funds, so $104 million, which is a drop in the bucket, honestly. And what I've indicated so many times before is that the fundamental problem with health care in the state of Mississippi is poverty. It's poverty. we got a lot of people that just can't pay for health care. They still need it. They're still going to get it. They're still going to receive it, and they're not going to pay for it. And in, in most cases, legitimately, they just don't have the economic means to do that. So how do we address that problem? We address that problem by growing the economy, growing opportunity, by making uh, jobs available to the people that are graduating from our fine, the, the youngsters, our fine universities and community colleges, so that they will take up residence and work in the state of Mississippi, uh, earning incomes where they can take care of themselves and they therefore can be essentially, ultimately, eventually patient customers to the healthcare industry, paying patient customers. That's what we need. Well, it's time for a break here on Middays. It's the noon, the top of the hour. It's noon, and that means Fox News, Super Talk News is coming your way. 
When we come back, we've got an open segment, and then candidate for governor, David Hardegree, Speaker Philip Gund, Dr. John Witcher. Stay with us. Get ready. Get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays, Hour 3 of the program, the afternoon portion. We are live in the Element Well Studios, set up just a few paces from the iconic pavilion on Founders Square at the Neshoba County Fair. We welcome to the program now David Hardegree, a candidate for governor running as a Republican. Mr. Hardegree, good to see you again, sir. Hello, John. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. So you uh, had the chance to speak uh, to the crowd here under the pavilion today. Uh, tell us the key points of your message. Yes, sir. Uh, the uh, One of the key points, I guess this is the first time this is history. You get a lot of candidates coming from around the country, the state, the nation coming here to talk. And if I remember correctly, Ronald Reagan came here back in the 80s. Right. And uh, that was his first place to come to was Neshoba County before he started his run on presidency. And then you got John Glenn and a couple other folks. But it's just being a part because you read this stuff in history, you know, in political science class. And, and it's the idea to actually put the pieces together like ah this is great yeah, i'd really enjoyed it but uh covering the history part of it is, is real good and then just kind of talking to the voters to let them know that on the, the military side of course you know we've got 38 years of military service and we do things a little bit different you know getting things done but uh just letting the voters know that that uh as you listen to the candidates uh have them pray and look for guidance and do the research on who they think would be the best for their choice is this the first time you've ever run for political office? Yes, sir, I have. Now, I've got ideas. Uh, I was uh, elected as SGA senator at Mississippi College. Okay. They just basically asked me, say, you want to run somewhere? <laughs> so I put a couple flyers up on the wall and didn't think a thing about it. The next semester, somebody from SGA called and said, uh, Mr. Hardigree, uh, you're still interested in becoming a senator? And I'm like, well, yeah. And he said, well, you're a senator now. And I'm like, well, how does that happen? <laughs> And then the lady said, well, because we had one person who moved on from one school to another. So then the next slot is you. So basically that started my first thing in SGA. And then uh, back in 2016, 2016 when, when President Trump ran for office, they were needing a delegate for Pelahatchee. And so at that time, we did there, and me and my wife and a couple other families, they were there, and the guy just said, hey, I just need somebody just to fill out the paperwork just to be a representative for Donald Trump. I'm like, okay, I can do that. So I wound up, I wasn't elected, but I was, what do you call, anointed, appointed, directed, and selected. <laughs> Got you. So what what motivated you, uh, John, to run against uh, an entrenched, uh, excuse me, David, to run against David Hardegree as our guest, candidate for governor? Uh, what motivated you to run against an entrenched incumbent in Tate Reeves? Well, I know he's got a lot of things. I know he's got a large bankroll. He's got people who are following him. He's got name out there, name recognition. And most of the time in the state of Mississippi, the incumbent is going to win the race anyway. Uh, because people just know, okay, we know who Tate Reeves is. You know, he's the governor, so we just go ahead and pick him. But I look at it this way. He may have... Uh, considerable time in politics, but I've got 
38 years basically in military service. So I've okay. got more experience in military running an organization and taking care of folks than he probably does in politics. So look at uh, that's the side that I have. Uh, he may be you know well financed, but on one hand, I'm, I'm going door to door myself. Me and me and John Crawford, we're going the door to door, and what we're doing is we're getting the people involved because the people want to make the difference in the state. It's what they have that they want to say, not just billboard campaigns and things. This and I'm doing this and doing that other stuff. But as we're as we're talking to people, what is really on your mind? You know, what do you like to see change in the state? And so as we're going around, uh, pastors are coming to us. We get involved to, in groups like this right here, news interviews. So basically what it is is the Lord is opening up doors of avenue so that way we can project our message out. What do you think you would have done different had you been governor over the last four years? There were some topics that I would have thought about, and I would have definitely seek counsel. Uh, and even, even, even as I mentioned in my speech, I don't know everything. But I'm going to find that subject matter expert and come to him and say, Sir, ma'am, what do you think about this? And what do you think is the overall best thing for the state? Because I have to remember that I'm more like an admiral of a ship. I can't be concentrating on smaller things, but i got to make sure the direction of the state or the ship is going in a positive thing. So I'm going to find somebody that... Who's got well? I mean, got some good ideas. Like I mentioned with the sheriffs program, for example, get into office, going to meet with all the sheriffs, the new ones in there, and then come up with a solution. For example, on crime, somebody's going to come up with an idea. We're going to implement it and then make it happen. David Hardegree, candidate for governor, is our guest. So you said you've been knocking on doors and yes, talking sir. to people. What are they telling you they want to see happen in the state of Mississippi? The one, th- one of the main things that comes to mind is, and, and as we're, I got my notes and journals and stuff like that, and a lot, and the thing, a lot of thing that that the people are talking about is we'd like to have a voice on our government. We'd like that when we have the opportunity to vote on something, that you hear what we have to say and not just put something out there and then, and then just go for it. Uh, people want to be included in their government. They want to be involved. They want to know what's going on. They want to see, well, th- that's something that I pass or I help. Like, like uh, uh, Brandon Presley talked about, you might not agree with their ideas, but it's the idea of putting it out there. You know, that's a part of that republic. You know, everybody gets a chance to vote. And the, the neatest thing, I was in Afghanistan, and the neatest thing was is when the, the people had the opportunity to elect for their official who they wanted for president of that country. Mm-hmm. People come from thousands or hundred miles away just to put their finger mark on a paper so that way they could say, yes, I voted for who I wanted. So I don't mean to interrupt you, but, how, okay, I hear that. The people say they want more voice. How would you enable that? Would you make yourself more accessible as governor, for example, have some sort of call center hotlines? Would you conduct frequent town halls to travel around the state, hear from the people? It, does it come in the form of uh, restoring the ballot initiative process? Specifically, how do right. you get them more involved? Okay. Getting out is what we're doing, uh, and we continue to do that. I'm the I'm an on-hands person. I want to see, like for example, uh, when we went to Rolling Fork, I want to talk to the people in the community. You know, how how can we help you? You know, what what needs to be done? And when we went to Blackhawk, you know, what needs to be done? How can we help you? And then also, there's uh, you know sometimes they have an open door policy, but be available where. I'm not going to be out of town or out of state, not unless somebody else is filling in my position. But if you have an issue. And then he called our department, our office up. We're either going to send a rep there or either I myself yeah. are going to go there. So that way I can get involved and then find a solution 
of how to get this taken care of. Um, any way to be accessible to the people because they want to be able to, uh, when they have something come to you, but not, you know, 24-hour type of thing calling. You have to have somebody on call all the time. But, folks, we got some legitimate stuff. You know, I need help in this area. Who can I talk to to get some help? Yeah. So one of the key issues, uh, David, that's been discussed in the upcoming session is elimination of the state income tax. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yes, sir. Um, the I've talked to – we have an economist that we work with, and then the – the thing that comes to mind that, that he talks about is getting rid of the state tax and the grocery tax is great for a lot of people because, as mentioned before, the grocery tax for low-income areas would be great. The municipalities are going to have to find monies somewhere in order to pay for their stuff. Mm-hmm. Their municipalities, their government, things of this nature, so they're getting out of that. If you did away with the state tax, how are you going to pay for city and state operations? You're going to have to come up with some money someplace else. We're not Texas. We're not Florida. Texas and Florida have 17 and 20 million people in population. We've got 2.9 million. So you don't have enough base, basically, to bring that much monies in for everybody to start paying taxes on. So if a bill were passed by both houses, which would phase in, let's say, the elimination of the income tax, if you were sitting in the governor's mansion, would you sign it? I would think hard about it. Okay. I would look at it, and I would talk to here again. I would talk to people. Is this feasible? Is this right? Are okay. we going to balance the budget? Okay. And I know right. it's good. Yeah. No, that's fine. Um, what about the restoring? I think I asked you about this before, restoring the ballot initiative. Uh, do, you, do you have some thoughts about that? Right. That's the one where everybody gets a chance to vote. Yeah. Yes. You think we should restore that? Ah, yes, absolutely. Because okay. people need, like I said, people need a chance to vote. They need a voice in their government. I can think of one topic right offhand. I've talked to both sides of the fence on this, uh, the case in being the flag. Yep. Uh, a lot of people disgruntled about the flag because they felt that they didn't give a chance to vote on it. Right. All right. Now, talking to somebody on the other side of the fence, they said, well, the governor's hands was tied. He had to do what he needed to do. He was forced into this position and had to make a quick decision. Yep. Okay. But a lot of folks are saying, well, no, you didn't give us, the people, right. an opportunity to speak out. Right. Okay, so what about, uh, I can't remember if I asked you this last time, but the public employee's retirement system is on shaky financial ground, and right. something's got to be addressed there. We've got about a minute left. Are, are you willing to take a hard look at that and see what needs to be done there? Yes, because I've talked to, as a matter of fact, i got an appointment Sunday morning at Byron Pentecostal Church, and one of the gentlemen there, he actually gave me a class on PERS. Okay. He said majority of our people are on that program, and what's happening is they hire contractors. Now, if I'm, I got, I got to find this out. But if they're dipping out of the same pot, yeah, they're if, not. If they're dipping, they're not dipping out of the same pot. No. Okay. All right. So, their the funds are not being put back into the purge account like it's supposed to be, and and people are nervous about. Well, I think what he's saying is that contractors are not contributing to purge, but if they were state employees, they would be or public sector employees. We're out of time here today. David, really appreciate you coming on the program, and good luck to you, sir. Sure, thank you very much. See you yep. time. We're coming right back with Speaker of the House Philip Gunn from the Neshoba County Fair. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome everyone. It's Middays. Once again, live from the Neshoba County Fair, we are on Founders Square. We're here because it's Mississippi's once-a-year giant, I'm going to call it gigantic, gigantic house party. And, uh, of course, the pavilion, which has uh, been the, the site where so many political candidates through the years have addressed Mississippians as they deliver their campaign message and their platforms. And certainly in an election year, we're pleased to welcome the Speaker of the House of the great state of Mississippi, Speaker Philip Gunn. Good to see you, sir. Hey, Gerard. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here today. Glad you got a nice tent for us to sit under. I got a tent. And a fan. Going. And some fans and trees. That's because I have to sit in this chair for three hours. Yes, so. and it's a hard chair, too. Isn't it? It's not the normal cushy when you get to sit in back in the oh, studio. That's exactly right. In the air-conditioned studio, usually Rhino freezes me out. Yes, that, sir. That's a good place type. to be. It's so cold. You're right. All right, so you uh, you delivered remarks today? I uh, tried to. Yes, sir. And uh, tell us what you talked about. Well, I just talked about a culture and uh, the things, fighting for the things that are important. Uh, many People may or may not realize that uh, there was a, a tremendous theologian in American history named J. Mockin Gresham who uh, wrote a book 100 years ago. And then that book it was called Christianity and Liberalism, and it was his defense of Christian faith. And in that book, he said uh, the really important things are the things about which men fight. And that, that comment is mm. being celebrated because it is the 100-year anniversary of that book. Well, it got me to thinking about the important things are the things about which we fight. And so I recounted some of the accomplishments that Republicans have given to Mississippi over the last 12 years since they gained control in the House of Representatives and just talked about some of the things that we as conservatives have pushed forward. We're in great financial shape because of conservative financial decisions. Education improvements have been legendary in this state over the last 12 years, historic actually. We overturned Roe versus Wade. We did the largest tax cut in history. We did the largest teacher pay raise in history, and I just took my time to recount sure. uh, those things and then uh, compared that, contrasted that to what's going on in Washington and how it seems to be such dysfunction up there. And, yeah. uh, talked about a few of the things that we don't see happening. If, we, if, we, if we're electing leaders who are going to fight for the things that are important, our, our leaders in Washington seem to be failing on so many Fronts, and I recounted, you know, the border and the spending and the the woke agenda that's coming, being pushed down our throats, and the socialism and the communism and the things like that that are taking place up there. And we've got to have leaders who are going to fight for the things that are really important. And all those things work to undo our culture, undo our society, and 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 in the end, take away our freedoms and undo our country. So, those are some of the themes that I tried to hit in the ten minutes that I had. You know, an observation I've made, Mr. Speaker, is that it, it seems like the states are really bi- bifurcating and almost dividing across a number of these issues you they talk are. about. They are. And, and, I mean, it's it's not even – there's no overlap on many Correct. of these issues. Uh, you look at abortion, for example, is one of those issues. You you look at something that we prohibited here via law and your leadership, the uh, uh, gender affirmation surgery on minors where we prohibited that here you see other states actually 
increasing expanding. access to that and right. actually paying for it in and, some cases. And telling parents that they have no right to, to even decide know. that decision for their, make a decision for Go to jail if exactly. you don't support it, which, exactly. is, which is crazy. So, I mean, it, I used to think, Mr. Speaker, that, you know, that there was kind of small nuanced differences in laws in the state. Like, I, I, I brought up the example, in Florida, you don't have to wear a helmet to ride a motorcycle. Yes. And you do here. Okay, that's not that big a deal, right. really. But when you start looking at some of these issues, the, these are huge uh, moving issues, if correct. you will. That is correct. And it's based upon the shifts in the culture. And I talked about that a little bit this morning when you I heard were out you. at yeah. breakfast. Yeah. Um, these are cultural changes. And sadly, as you pointed out, the blue states are getting blue or red states are getting redder. There's a divide that seems to be occurring. And people are not looking for common ground, things that they can they can work toward. They're demonizing people who don't agree with them. Yeah. And uh, that just creates dysfunction. You made a great point, and we've said it many times on the show, that uh, that a lot of these, these ideas, and I guess support for that crazy ideology, it, the ground zero for it, unfortunately, is America's universities. Yes, sir. Yeah, the universities seem to be a breeding ground for liberal ideology. And I think the, the professors bring that, indoctrinate the students, brainwash them where they're at a very impressionable age. That, that, is, that is certainly happening in, in, a, in a lot of places. I was fortunate to speak at one of our universities here back in the fall and was a little bit apprehensive about it because I didn't know how it would be received. And it was a class. I spoke to it was a leadership class, about 125 kids in the class. And I was pleasantly surprised at how many of them were conservative. The students. The students were conservative. Yeah. They, they, they believed conservative spending policies, conservative values, and it was refreshing to see that some of those students had not been influenced by that. But sometimes the professors tend to push that ideology and punish them. And that's why we have groups like the Alliance Defending Freedom that yeah. was at a breakfast this morning who defend those students who are persecuted and fined and punished for their conservative views. And you talked uh, a little bit about some, some things that you'd like to see uh, the the incoming uh, members of our legislature and leadership uh, focus on. You, of course, are retiring uh, from the state House of Representatives. Right. Uh, go through that a little bit. Yes, we talked this morning a little bit about uh, the one was the Save Title IX Act. This is uh, Title IX of federal government was an act designed to bring equality in women's sports, and, and many people are familiar with that. Yep. On the college level and maybe even on the high school level, uh, we are to, to give women the same athletic opportunities as, as men. Unfortunately, the Biden administration has, has defined sex not to be biological sex, but they've tried to include the people who define themselves as transgender or sexual orientation. However they identify. And the result of that has been that we got men competing against women in high school sports and college sports. Uh, they're going into women's bathrooms. They're, they're declaring themselves a woman and going into women's locker rooms. And that is just inappropriate. We cannot cannot have that. And so the Save Title IX Act was one of those pieces of legislation that I would like to see next legislature pass so we can protect our women from from that kind of uh, why, why haven't we been able to get that done well, what's what's the hold up there do you think well it just it just came on the scene last year yeah. and as you know uh, many times uh, items of first impression uh, there's a lot of unknowns we need to think about this and, sure. and for whatever reason uh, we had a lot of the issues and I will I will as a, as a side note to that to say that 
the Republican women of Mississippi had 15 agenda items they had last year. You this was one that. of them, and we passed 11, 11 of them. So yeah. it wasn't like they didn't have success. Well, you'd have to call that a but, success. But this is one of those items I think needs uh, to be passed. We need to protect our women and children from that type of uh, harassment, if you want to call it that, where these people are coming in in an inappropriate setting. So that was one of the things that I mentioned. Um uh, there was another one, the Parents' Bill of Rights. Yeah, talked about that. Which yeah. uh, we talked about the fact that I believe parents have the right to educate their children according to what they think is best for their child. And if that is private schooling or homeschooling or public schooling or whatever options are out there, parents have the right to make those decisions, not the federal government. Yeah. And so one of the bills that I'd like to see passed next year is what we call the Parents' Bill of Rights, which basically says that parents have the right to educate their children in the manner they see fit and we as a government should be there to support that to su- supplement that not to work against that which i think is what we're seeing in so many places uh, statistically in mississippi nine out of ten kids go to the public schools right that shows the tremendous influence that the public schools have on the minds of the next generation. And if they are pushing forward ideologies that are left-wing ideologies or liberal ideologies, then that's affecting the children. And the parents, many of whom can't afford to pay for private school or homeschool, they don't have those options, but yet they don't want their children subjected to that, they ought to have the freedom to make sure their child is educated in a manner that they see fit. So that's one of the things the parent parental bill of rights does i'd like to see that passed next year i also think that that would boost the quality bolster the quality of the public schools if they if they feel like they don't have a captive audience that they do now exactly and then it would bring a little competition to the table which makes them fly right works pretty good in the private sector works very good (laughs) And, and you think about that we allow free market competition in everything except our schools and hospitals yeah we got That's that true. CON law, which I'm not a fan of. I know of. you and I have talked about that and, a lot. And uh, we don't we don't apply that logic to any other sectors that I can think of right. sit here except those two things. Before we go here, what are you thinking about next for you? Well, I'm thinking through that right now, praying about different options. I, uh, I'm trying to consider where the Lord would have me serve next. And uh, that may be an elected office. It may be uh, doing something else. I'm just trying to uh, think through that right now and see what. What opens up? Yes, sir. Mr. Hopefully Speaker. I'll be able to come back on your show. Yes, time sir. Time. You're welcome anytime, Mr. Speaker. Philip Gunn, I uh, appreciate your service and your leadership, sir. Absolutely. Uh, in the House of Representatives and as uh, one of the top three leaders in the state of Mississippi, and, and good luck to you and your future endeavors. Well, you're mighty kind, Gerard. Appreciate your friendship. Appreciate Super Talk. They've always been kind to let me come on the show, and I hope that will continue. Yes, sir. We've got Dr. John Witcher, candidate for governor, coming up next. We've enjoyed the conversation with Speaker of the House, Philip Gunn. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Bring it on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. Once again, we're live from the Neshoba County Fair. 
We are on Founders Square. That's right in the heart of the fairgrounds, not too far away from the iconic pavilion at Mississippi's Giant House Party. We welcome now to the program Dr. John Witcher. He is a Republican candidate for governor. Dr. Witcher, thanks for coming on. Yes, sir. Thank you, Gerard. Thank you for having me back. You bet. So uh, you spoke today to the crowd? I, I did. How'd that go? Well, I think it went good. You know, Mississippians, you know, they want to change. They do want to change. And, uh, you know, I think the main thing on Mississippians' minds right now is the economy. Yeah. Okay. The economy, the interest rates have doubled, gas prices are going up, people having problems buying groceries, paying the bills, et cetera. So that's a big part of our, our what we want to do. We want to make sure we're aware of that. Of course, we like to have tax breaks. Etc. But uh, and the other thing on people's minds is is election integrity. They, hmm. they really they, they really uh, you know a lot of people here in Mississippi are very conservative. They feel like the presidential election of 2020 was if not outright stolen was rigged. And so I, there's still a lot of people throughout Mississippi that support Donald J. Trump for president. And I know I'm running for governor, but I'm wearing the hat because I support Donald J. Trump for president. I really do. I mean, we if anybody can bring our economy back, he can. That's number one. And number two, he'll keep us out of World War Three. And I think that's really what's on people's minds around Mississippi. They're, they're more concerned about, about their own pocketbook and also their safety and protection. So, if uh, Dr. Witcher, if you're fortunate to be elected governor, what sort of economic policies would uh, you you champion to address the economic plight that you're hearing out there among the uh, the voters? Well, I, I'm a very conservative person. I grew up right here in Mississippi, very modest. Grow, uh, bringing up, my father was a school teacher, mother homemaker. They raised three children, and so uh, you know we struggled at times. My parents even had to. Uh, they were on food stamps and welfare for a short period of time. Had to, had declared bankruptcy when I was a young man. So, you know, I understand what uh, you know. Really, what it takes is we have to start young with these folks. Start and educate them, get them educated, and not necessarily go to college. Uh, educate them, put put them in trade schools early, get them trained up, keep them off the streets, and and get them in something they enjoy doing early. And uh, so we're going to, that's what we're going to be promoting. We, we want to uh, eradicate poverty here in Mississippi. We want to, we want to talk about it straight up. You know, it's about, it's about families, really. Okay, it's really where it starts. We have a lot, a lot of families that don't have fathers, single motherhood, un, unwed pregnancies, etc. And, uh, you know, as a medical doctor, we, we, you know, we have in our state, uh, we have uh, maternal fetal deaths or, or infant mortality rates very increased, but we just have to be blunt and see where that's coming from. Okay, that's coming from uh, a lot of time young women, single, that are, are have a very uh, hard time. Many of them are, are on drugs, and so we, we've got to combat the problem at, right at the root. Do you have a specific plan? Because you're right when you look at uh, just the, the published metrics on out of wedlock births and and uh, homes without a father, for example, where a, a child is living. And statistically, that's been proven to uh, really produce poor results from an economic perspective, from a poverty perspective, crime perspective. It's all tied to that. Have you thought about how you would address that in the state of Mississippi? And we rank among the top, if not at the top of the list in the, those categories. Yeah. Well, that's why, that's, you know, another reason I support Donald J. Trump, it's about America first. It's about Mississippi first. Hey, let's, let's do Made in Mississippi. 
Let's let's bring let's change our image, bring folks together. Let's, we we want all businesses to come here, but you know the the heart and soul of of, of Mississippi is small businesses. We we want to encourage uh, folks to come from these blue states because they're coming, and uh, we want to mm-hmm. encourage them to come here. Young families with kids. We want uh, them to bring their their trade with them. You know, I have a son that's a. I've got uh, four kids. Two of them are doctors. One's a dentist. And hey, my oldest son, he's in Florida. Free state of Florida. It's you know, it's the brain drain. Once we educate these folks here, we want to keep them here. And that's another thing. If you live here and you go to a state college, and you're doing well, I don't think it costs too much. We need to learn how figure out how we can keep our, our smart people here and bring others here. And, we, and it's really we want to promote business. I'm about smart. I'm about free enterprise. I grew up with Ronald Reagan. I believe that that the way. We got got to find people jobs, got to get them working, got to train them, keep them off the streets, and uh, and you know it's about listen. We we need a tax base here, but the way way we can get rid of income taxes, we've got to bring more people here that are that are taxpayers that are buying groceries, buying food, and we can hopefully eliminate that income tax. Use the tax base we have there by bringing these in these working people, and then when we can lower some of this uh, spending. I think I think we could balance the budget because we're a welfare state. We know that not only our people but our government. Forty-seven percent of our expenditure comes from the federal government every year. We need to work on that. We want to be a free state. Uh, is, are there any regulations that you would uh, push to eliminate the state of Mississippi that you think are maybe a hindrance to business formation or just making it more difficult? Well, to succeed as a we business, we want to. You know, anytime government gets involved in situations, there's always red tapes and regulations. You know. In the healthcare industry, I can tell you, you know, we don't want the government running our hospitals. We just don't. I mean, they're inefficient, too much red tape, too much bureaucracy. For example, we want the, uh, you know, uh, the uh, certificate of need. We should privatize that. Okay, we need we need to let let that become more available to individual business folks and go out there and compete against. You know, they say all these hospitals are going broke and losing money in Mississippi. We need to look at each hospital setting because every hospital is different. Some of them are owned privately. Some of them uh, the county owns them. They're, mm-hmm. they're all independent. And I can tell you a lot of the problem is just mismanagement at, at the local level. And every You can't solve every hospital's problem by one thing. I mean, you know, there's lots of things there. I mean, sometimes they have too many employees because they're county owned and they stack them with too many employees. A lot of times they don't have the providers in town. You know, no nurse practitioners, no doctors. So it's a multifaceted thing, but... I believe in competition. I believe if you bring in free enterprise, you bring in competition, uh, it will work its way through, and it will have a better. So would you support repeal of the state's seal in-laws? Would you support that outright? Or do you think the certificate of yeah the yeah. con laws yeah uh, yeah I mean I think it should be I think people it's too hard to get them right now yeah it's too political yeah gotcha what about education choice do you have a position on that I, I believe in education choice I you know I think Arkansas is getting ready to pass where the tax educational tax dollars are going to follow the child I, I believe we can, already we, have actually so, we, we yeah. should do that here we can yeah. do that I mean uh, you know it's um, if a child wants to learn, I don't care where they're at, what zip code, I don't think your zip code should determine the quality of your education. If the child wants to learn, whether it be a trade school or college, let's help them out. Let's get them out. We know a lot of these inner city schools are, are for one thing, they're dangerous. Okay? And that's another thing. We want to protect our teachers. I grew up with a family of teachers. My father was a school teacher. My sister just retired as a school teacher, special ed teacher down on the coast. And uh, I talked with her. She's, one thing is safety. You know, these teachers, 
a lot of times they can't they can't really do anything to the children because the, the parents might get upset. When I was mm-hmm. growing up, I mean, I, we got spankings, you know. <laughs> That's just the way it was. Um, are, is there any state spending that you think uh, should be examined for reduction, for cutting? Well, we spend a lot in the Department of Education, right. a whole lot. Uh, I think it's 54% of our, our tax right. income. Yeah. It's too much. I mean, I, I've been around state. I've got somebody that's, that I would bring on board. He, you know, we, we've been talking. And, uh, you know, it's very top-heavy. There's a lot of superintendents out there. We can combine some of the, these districts. Uh, there's two, they're making six-figure incomes, you know, sometimes with very few students. We need to look at that. There's, they're also spending lots of money. When they're training themselves with these outside folks, contracts. They give them lots of money, et cetera. We need to combine all that. Uh, I think that will cut a lot of waste. It's top-heavy. We need to get the money down to the parents, the teachers, and the children. So just to be clear, you would support uh, at least examining the possibility of consolidation of certain school districts in the state? I, I, we have more than we have I, counties. I, I would have so. to look at that real closely. Yeah, yeah. I would. I mean, I, I'm for smaller government, you know, trying to cut expenses uh, as best we can. We're going to have to do that. We, we've got to cut expenses. So Yeah. I know I asked you about this before, but the PERS program is is on uh, shaky financial ground, and, and something's going to have to happen there. I know last time you, you made a comment about the uh, the investment portfolio. You thought we could do a better job uh, managing that, but uh, the returns have actually been pretty much in line with market returns. That yeah. fundamental problem we have well, is we got people living longer. Yeah. They draw benefits forever. We got yeah. this 13th check. Uh, scenario, and we're not adding new employees to the workforce in the state public sector to contribute into PERS. You know, the the contribution rate on the part of employers goes up by 5% this time next year, which is going to increase state spending. Yeah. You thought about what we're going to do about PERS, I guess. Well, you know, I know you mentioned the other day they've, they've made about 8% overall. I mean, I don't know. You know, that's last, what they published in their the official year, reports. I mean, you know, I was making twenty plus percent doing my own investments throughout uh, Donald Trump years. I mean, you know, April, they should have really been doing good. I guess they did. I guess they made twenty three billion, but they lost eight billion last year, which a lot of us lost money last year in the stock market. One good, but but yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, we need to look at it because how many state employees we got? Twenty five thousand or something? something like that. And uh, all know, public sector. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, certainly, we want to make sure that gets funded. Nobody okay. should be able to work as a state employee and not have their benefits like they're supposed to. Absolutely. Gotcha. Dr. Witch, appreciate you coming on. Good yes, luck sir. to you. All right. Yep. Thank you, Gerard. You, you bet. All right, folks. We're taking a break right here. We're at the Neshoba County Fair. We're coming right back with the final segment of Middays on uh, this Thursday. Stay with us. Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. Back in the Element Well studio, which is set up right in the middle of Founder Square at the Neshoba County Fair on this Friday Eve. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay, folks, I'll have to admit, I'm like exhausted. Uh, Ms. Rhino knows the solid interviews can be taxing, 
And I, man, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's great. Enjoyed talking to all the candidates and really appreciate them coming on the program and giving of their time and, and really appreciate the great team here at Super Talk that comes over and sets all this up, which is a huge chore beyond imagination. And our content director, Alex Payton, who schedules all the guests in advance. And that, uh, you hear the expression, herding cats. Man, this is like herding cattle across the whole damn United States. I'm serious. It is a major, major task, a big ordeal. And she does a fantastic job, and I appreciate that, uh, along with Houston and Scary Gary and also Caleb Sailors from our news department has been taking it all in and writing articles. and, And I... Also, encourage you once again, as we have before, to sign up for the Super Talk newsletter from the Super Talk News Department. You'll be glad you did, especially with the election uh, in full swing and the primaries less than two weeks away, and then, of course, the general election in November. And, and once again, if you're wondering where a Democrat candidate for governor, Brandon Presley, uh, has been. Uh, uh, today, when the candidates for governor spoke, and that's typically how they are scheduled to come on the program, that they uh, appear on the program on the day when they speak, and 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 also the basically the rules here within the Shelby County Fair Commission, you can't, of course, accommodate every candidate in every district, House and Senate, and local candidate um, across the state. So they, the the basic rule is that if you represent Neshoba County in any way, then you, you are typically afforded an opportunity to speak. And that's why Governor uh, would speak. That's why we had Public Service Commissioner, Transportation Commissioner of the Central District. And then, of course, we had uh, the, the other statewide candidates that, that uh, represent uh, the area. This year, because it is statewide election year, and we had all the statewide candidates and that usually means that, that uh, they will consume all the segments. And, uh, and that's what we did. And we really did, I think, a fantastic job. Our content director did our entire Super Talk team uh, putting all that together, orchestrating that. And we had some last minute. You may have noticed that I teased some things, and then we come back, and that's not actually what happens. And that's because that within those few minutes of time, we have to react to that. We'll have a, a cancellation uh, for various reasons, and we just have to have to work with it. Uh, in fact, we had uh, Billy Hughes, mayor of Gulfport, and he was summoned back to Gulfport to take care of some business matters. And, and just b- before the segment, he let us know that he had had to leave, had to get on the road. So we understand that. We appreciate that. He's an elect- elected official. He's got to get back to Gulfport, take care of some business. That's fine. That's perfectly fine. We we um, understand that. And he's been on the program many times, and you know he'll, he'll be on some more. He's always a good guest to have on. But... Um, did we learn anything? I hope so. I, I think that uh, our audience had an opportunity to hear from the candidates, and, uh, and uh, of course, they were able to uh, discuss uh, their speeches. That's typically what we ask them. You were just speaking. Usually they come on right after that. What's your key message? And, and of course, that should consist of their, their platform, their message, and why you should vote for me, why I need to be elected or reelected. And sometimes... Uh, I need to be elected to replace someone who's running for re-election. That's always where you get a lot of the the fiery rhetoric and the criticism back and forth. We saw that yesterday in particular 
in the lieutenant governor's race. We actually saw it uh, be quite strong in the ag commissioner's race. We saw the candidates for ag commissioner really go at it. The Democrat candidates, the Republican in, um, incumbent, Andy Gibson. So um, that was kind of fascinating to, to hear that. And then, of course, we've got candidates running for AG also against uh, an incumbent. And, and and that got, um, I guess, in terms of the speeches, that uh, kind of mired in the mudslinging, if you will. Of course, the, the marquee race, I think you'd have to say, coming up in the primary in less than two weeks would be that Republican race for lieutenant governor. And uh, you, you've seen that play out in the public, in, in uh, the media, certainly on our show a bit. And, and I think you're going to continue to see that for the next couple of weeks. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman, of course, facing a challenge from Senator Chris McDaniel. Time will tell. It, it wouldn't surprise me if we don't see uh, lots of airtime from those candidates on our shows, on our network, and you'll see it across other media outlets as well. Remains to be seen. I just, I don't know at this point. But we're going to be back in the Super Talk headquarters studio tomorrow. And we'll have some time to break down the uh, the speeches and the message even further in the candidates. We'll also have uh, someone from our news department. I think Caleb Sailors is coming on to recap what he saw having been here. Should be a lot of fun. We hope you will join us then. Until then, folks, stay safe. Thank you so much for joining us, and God bless. We're signing off from the Neshoba County Fair. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.